0: Well, good morning, and welcome to Calvary Baptist Church. My name is Jenny, and I serve as the children's minister here. What a joy it is to be together and to worship as the people of God this morning. If you are new to Calvary, a special welcome to you. We are so glad to have you, and we hope to get to know you better. One way we can connect with you is if you will fill out the visitor card in the pew in front of you. We would be glad to have the opportunity to follow up with you by email or by phone and would also love to meet you after the service if we haven't had the chance to meet you already. The visitor card is also how you can indicate if you would like to know more about our ministries or if you would like to share a prayer concern. Later on in the service, there will be a chance for you to place those filled out cards in the offering plate. You will also need a couple of things to navigate today's worship service. You'll need a worship folder that looks like this and you'll need one of the blue hymnals in the pew in front of you. We are so glad this morning to welcome Sharon Dowd to the pulpit to preach while Mary Alice is in Kentucky with her family. Sharon is a former member of Calvary and we are excited to share for her to share with the Calvary family this morning. Today, we look again at the messiness of life. In this worship series, we have reflected on how God created the world from chaos mess we have been reminded that we too are called into the mess of relationships with people who may not be just like us just as God's people were at the Tower of Babel and at Pentecost and we have examined how God used a messy situation that involved Jonah's being swallowed by a giant fish to bring salvation to a whole nation As we come this morning, may we once again see a reflection of the unexpected ways that God is present, moving and working even when all that we may see is dirt and mud and mess. May we be reminded that sometimes it's only from the midst of the messy pieces of life that we can see that God is weaving together something new. Let us worship together the God who is not afraid of our messes, but who enters into them with us and transforms both us and the mess.
1: We are
2: this morning grateful for this space we know you are here and we are all counting on that we find ourselves Lord all over the place in life some of us are in a mess some of us, some of us are just now out of a mess and we're all going to face another mess sooner or later so Lord we ask you to meet us here to touch our hearts and our minds to hear your word, and to hear your truth. You are our hope. Give us patience and courage and wisdom to journey through the messiness of each of our lives. We thank you now, Lord, for this sacred space. We thank you that we are known by you. Help us, Lord, to know you more fully. In Christ's name, amen.
3: thing, it's another, caught up in words, tangled in lies, and you are a Savior, and you take brokenness aside, and make it you. It's not one thing, it's another, caught up in words, tangled in lies. You are a Savior and you take brokenness aside and make it beautiful, beautiful. beautiful you make it beautiful another caught up in words tangled in lies. but you are a savior and you take brokenness aside and make it beautiful beautiful oh yeah Cause I am a sinner if it's not one thing it's another Caught up in words, tangled in lies Oh yeah, you are a savior And you take brokenness aside And make it beautiful, beautiful Cause I am a sinner If it's not one thing, it's another Caught up in words, tangled in lies Oh yeah, you are a savior, and you take brokenness aside and make it beautiful, beautiful. Oh, you make it beautiful.
5: And the word became flesh and lived among us, and we have seen his glory, the glory as of our Father's only Son, full of grace and truth.
4: John chapter 9. As Jesus walked along, he saw a man blind from birth. His disciples asked him, Rabbi, who sinned, this man or his parents, that he was born
5: blind? Jesus answered, "Neither, Neither this man nor his parents sinned. He was born blind so that God's work might be revealed in him. We must work the works of him who sent me while it is day. Night is coming, and when, and when no one can work. As long as I am in the world, I am the light of the world.
4: When he had said this, he spat on the ground and made mud with, with the saliva and spread the mud on the man's eyes, saying to him, Go, wash in the pool of Siloam, which means sent. Then he went and washed and came back and was able to see.
5: The neighbors and those who had seen him before as a beggar began to ask, Is this not the man who used to sit and beg? Some were saying, It is he. Others were saying, No, but it is someone like him. He kept saying, I am the man.
4: But They kept asking him, Then how were your eyes opened? He answered, The man called Jesus made mud, spread it on my eyes, and said to me, Go to Siloam and wash. Then I went and washed and received my sight. They said to him, where is he? He said, I do not know. This This is is the the word of the Lord. Lord.
3: Bringing love and laughter, grief and pain. Some believing, some rejoicing, some afraid and some in doubt. When we now, questions voicing. We would search these matters out. be broken to be human let, let us dare let the truth in love be spoken let us now the questing share we have heard the growing stories of the things that God has done of the power The glory of God's love in Christ the Son. God of human transformation, for your presence now we pray. Lead us ever on the journey as we gather here today.
0: Will the children please join me at the front for the children's message? Good morning. Good morning. You guys all look really nice today. Well, good morning, friends. What a beautiful day it is to be here and to worship together. So this worship series, we have been talking about how life can be kind of messy sometimes, right? But God can work in those messes. The scripture that we just heard from John chapter 9 tells us the story of Jesus healing a blind man in a messy way. Does anybody remember what Jesus did to heal him? What did he do? Yeah, pretty gross, huh? He spit on the ground and made mud and put it in his eyes. And then he told him to go wash in a pool of water and he would be healed. Right? And was the man healed? Yeah, it was a miracle. This man had been blind since birth not because of anything he or his parents had done. And Jesus told the disciples, he said, pay attention and watch the amazing things I'm about to do in this man's life. And Jesus surprised them all. When he spit in the dirt, he made mud, he put it on the man's eyes, and then told him to go wash off. And when he did, he could see for the first time in his whole life. What do you think you would have done if you had been there and you had seen Jesus heal that man? Would you have been surprised? Yeah. Would you have praised God for what he had done in that man's life? Yeah, I bet it would have been a big party. What if you had been the blind man that was healed? Would you have been excited? Would you have told all your friends? Just like when something awesome happens at school and you want to tell all your friends and your parents? Well, that's how this man who was healed reacted in our story. He told everyone about Jesus and how Jesus had healed him. And guess what? Jesus can be in the midst of our messes too. We don't have to worry that our messes are too big for Jesus because he cares about us and he can handle our worries and our messes. It's just like our verse for this series says, 1 Peter 5-7. If you know it, you can say it with me. Give all your worries to him because he cares for you. Let's pray. Lord Jesus, we come to you this morning and we thank you for the amazing and incredible ways that you work in our lives, whether that's through mud or that's through just being present, Lord, in the midst of a time when we are worried or we are stressed and being there and showing us that you care for us, Lord. Thank you for um, each and every way that you were working, and I pray that we would honor you with our words and our actions today. In your name, I pray. Amen.
3: Out of need and out of costum, we have gathered here again. To the gathering we are bringing, love and laughter, grief and pain. Some believing, some rejoicing, some afraid and some in doubt. Come we now, questions voicing, we would search these matters
6: out.
7: Maybe we're just not ever going to have a baby, I remember saying to Ethan at the beginning of 2019. He replied with, but since we don't yet, we can move if you get into a seminary out of state. At the start of this year, everything about our lives felt like it was suspended in a period of transition. We had spent the previous six years of our marriage thinking that we'd definitely be parents by then. We'd bought a house in a cute neighborhood within walking distance of our church, Ethan kept getting promoted at work. I'd cut my work hours down to part-time so that I could focus on our future kids. And then the babies didn't come. And I had no idea what to do with that, because good Southern Baptist girls get married and have babies. In the midst of trying to make peace with struggling with infertility, I accepted an invitation to be part of a young leaders cohort with the Baptist General Association of Virginia in 2018. And through that process, I realized that the volunteer youth ministry that I'd been doing for a decade was the thing that God was calling me to full-time. I prayed about going to seminary for weeks before I mentioned it to Ethan. And when I finally did, he said that we didn't have the money for it, but that he felt like it was the right thing to do also. We made a plan to move to Richmond, Virginia, so that I could go to the Baptist Theological Seminary there, uh, the only one within driving distance that affirmed women in ministry, and then they closed. It became clear that we were going to have to move out of state, and that felt scary for two people who met in high school and lived within five miles of both sets of our parents. But we figured that since we didn't have any kids, we could probably make it work. I was accepted to and then blessed with a scholarship at Truett Seminary at Baylor University. In April, I flew down to visit, and I remember calling Ethan from the hotel room and telling him that this was it. He reassured me again that we could do it, even though I was scared. We committed. We signed the paperwork, we leased an apartment, we turned in notices to our jobs, and two weeks later, what I thought was a stomach bug turned out to be a baby boy named Russell James who was due at the end of December. Moving halfway across the country to go to seminary and having our first baby in the middle of that, 1400 miles from our families, was nowhere on our radar when we got married in 2012. But in one of the messiest seasons of our lives, God was slowly and steadily teaching us to loosen our grip on our own plans and trust that what he has for us is bigger and wilder than what we ever could have imagined.
3: I spoke a word, you were singing over me, you have been so, so good to me, for I took a breath, you breathed your life in me. You have been so, so kind to me. Oh, the overwhelming, never ending, reckless love of God. Oh, it chases me down. Quite still, I'm gone. Please, the lighting light. I, I couldn't learn it, and I don't deserve it. Still Yourself away, oh, the overwhelming, never ending, reckless love of- You paid it all for me You have been so, so kind to
6: me Oh, the overwhelming, never-ending Reckless love
3: love of God Always chases me down Fights to I'm the I couldn't earn it, and I don't deserve it. Still, you give yourself away.
6: All the overwhelming, never-ending, reckless love of God.
3: There's
6: no
5: shadow you won't light up, mountain you won't
3: climb up, coming after me There's no wall you won't kick down, no why you won't tear down, coming after me There's no shadow you won't light up, mountain you won't climb up, coming after me There's no wall you won't kick down why won't tear down? Coming after me. Slow no shadow, you won't light up. mountain you won't climb up. Coming after me.
6: Slow no wall, you won't get down. Why you won't tear it down? Coming after me. Slow no shadow, you won't light up. mountain you won't climb up. Coming after me So all you want is out all you want it out Coming after me all oh, the overwhelming Never-ending Breakfast of
3: God All oh, it chases me down Twice till I'm found Leaves the oh, mighty life I couldn't learn I don't deserve it, still
6: you give yourself away. All oh, the overwhelming, never-ending
7: purpose of God.
8: Morning Calvary. Feels like home. Let's pray. And now Lord, may the words of my mouth and the meditations of all of our hearts gathered here together be acceptable in your sight, O God, our rock and our redeemer. Amen. What a beautiful mess. If you're visiting, you may have noticed the mess everywhere, and that's on purpose. So far, this series of sermons has focused on the Old Testament, and we've seen how God produced a good and beautiful creation out of a chaotic mess, tohu wavohu, yuck and muck. In other words, God sees a messy chaos, and speaks it into beauty and goodness. God gives this good creation to us human beings, and before long we have messed it up. First, we decided that we had better sense than God and therefore should promote ourselves to God-like status by knowing good from evil. That's the story of Adam and Eve which is the Bible's way of telling how we human beings made a mess of God's good creation. Then, as Mary Alice explained in the story of the Tower of Babel, Babel, we decided that God's command to scatter out and fill up the earth was plain foolishness, and instead we should stick together and build ourselves a monument to our own cleverness. Last Sunday, we heard about Jonah, the prophet that God sent to give the people of Nineveh a chance to turn to God. Jonah, like us, decided that the Ninevites were way too messy for God to redeem and way too dangerous for God's prophet to preach to. Jonah figures those people have a completely different religion and are therefore outside of God's love. So we, like Jonah, run from every possible chance to meet those people, and we end up, like Jonah, in a worse mess than we started with, than we, or Jonah, could ever have even imagined. But in all these stories, God is there in the mess, rescuing, saving, restoring. Today, we turn to the New Testament to see how God actually entered into the mess that we have made of God's creation. So John begins his gospel, as Carol and Anna read, with the words of Genesis 1, in the beginning. And he goes on to remind us that God made everything by speaking. Everything was made by God's word. But then, in an amazing twist, John informs us that God's Word became a human being like us. And in Eugene Peterson's paraphrase in the message, moved into the neighborhood. Now, according to the religions that were around at the time John was writing, that was something that no self-respecting God would do. Sure, various gods might disguise themselves as human beings, and mostly so they could trick people into falling in love with them. But no God would actually become a human being. How degrading would that be? But that is exactly what God did. Jesus, God's Word, who was God's instrument in creating everything became flesh and blood and moved into our neighborhood and not a nice neighborhood either. Mark Virgop points out that John uses the word world to identify what God's creation had become under human domination. John never uses the word creation All in all 20 chapters of the gospel, he always uses the word world. And the way John uses the word world reminds us that things have gone very wrong since God created beauty and goodness out of chaos. The world came into being through Jesus, but the world did not recognize or welcome Jesus. In John's third chapter, we find out why. Jesus brought light into the world, but the people who had forgotten who they were created to be loved the darkness rather than light because their deeds were evil. But we all know the other verse in chapter three, don't we? Kids, we're about to say John 3 16. Every, everybody together. God so loved the world that God gave God's only son so that everyone who believes in him might not perish but may have everlasting life. Jesus moved into our neighborhood where we think we know better than God, we like to stick with our own kind, And we despise and fear people who are different from us. And let me tell you, Jesus was different from us. He was so different that we killed him. And instead of punishing us, God laid hold of our rejection and through God's overwhelming, never-ending, reckless love, turned our hostility into forgiveness and redemption and transformation for us, for us who couldn't earn it and could never deserve it. That's the kind of God that we're dealing with. I don't think we give enough thought to the fact that the Word became flesh and came to live as a human being in the first century in a part of the world that was especially messy, politically, economically, and religiously. God could have chosen another place and another time to become a human being. God could have chosen a nice stable family instead of an unwed mother. Obviously, God already knew what a mess we had made, God knew about our brokenness, our lies, our tears, and our perpetual need to run from the truth about ourselves. But friends, God was not satisfied. This is what's so amazing about the incarnation. That's what we call the Word made flesh. God was not satisfied just to know about human life. I mean, God knew everything he was to know about human us. God decided to come and experience our messiness firsthand. God entered into the mess that we had made of creation in order to sort it out and make it right from the inside out. Sometimes we focus on God's amazing decision to become a human being only at Christmas time. But there are theologians, especially in the Eastern Orthodox tradition, that emphasize that the Incarnation is the key to God's whole saving action in Jesus. If you think about it, the cross would be just another tragedy, except that God came to experience life as one of us and to allow us to do to God what we do to people who challenge us. And it's equally crucial, the incarnation is equally crucial to understanding Jesus' ministry and the mission of the church. And so in the script—excuse me second scripture from God, from John, we find out how that works. The story of the man born blind in the ninth chapter of John's Gospel gives us a glimpse of the way Jesus embraced messiness and used dust to make beauty. So the story opens with a sentence that introduces the two main characters. As Jesus walked along, he saw a man blind from birth. Now we aren't told the man's name And he doesn't even have a speaking part in the drama that develops around him until several verses later. So even before Jesus can speak to the man, the disciples decide to turn this poor guy into a moral illustration of the effects of sin. They start out with the assumption that his blindness happened because somebody sinned. Maybe his parents sinned, and God punished them by giving them a child with a disability. Or maybe the man himself sinned. Wait, hold on. He was born blind. So how did he sin before he was ever born? Gail O'Day asks us to pay attention to the fact that this discussion about the cause of the man's blindness takes place in the blind man's presence, he's right there, while the disciples are discussing his and his parents likely problems, sinfulness, misbehavior. And this is someone they have not even met. They know nothing about this man except that no doubt his disability is the result of his or his parents' sinfulness. How many times do we talk about people instead of conversing with them? How many times do we make up stories about why someone we don't even know is so poor? Mm, she needs to get a job. Or so rich, who did that guy rip off? Or so disheveled, he could at least take a bath and comb his hair. So beautiful. Mm, Probably a little enhancement going on there, don't you think? (laughs) Jesus is not having it. His response silences the disciples and in fact, erases them from the story. The disciples don't even show up again until chapter 11, when the Gospel writer needs them to ask another stupid question. Jesus' response to the question about who caused the man's blindness silences not only the disciples, but all the rest of us whose favorite sport is blame the victim. Jesus tells us that blame is the wrong question. Instead, Jesus wants us to ask, what can be done here that will reveal the works of God? Time is short, Jesus says. Let's see what God wants done and get on with it. What light does Jesus want to bring into this apparently cloudy situation? The blind man does not acknowledge Jesus' presence, just as the disciples do not acknowledge his presence. He's probably used to being the topic of conversation rather than a conversation partner. The man has no friends to advocate for him like the people that brought the man to Jesus and cut a hole in the roof. He doesn't have any friends to advocate for him. He does not even ask Jesus to heal him, and Jesus does not ask him if he wants to be healed. Right after Jesus finishes correcting the disciples' faulty and rude theology, he spits on the ground, makes mud with the saliva, smears the mud on the blind man's eyes and tells him to go and wash it off in the pool of Siloam. Did you notice that Jesus did not even promise the blind man that this strange procedure will give him his sight? It seems to me that this story really is about revealing the works of God, not about having faith, and certainly not about persuading God to act. Well, the blind man decides that he needs to get that muddy spit off his face, and I guess the pool of Siloam is as good a place to wash as any. Maybe it's nearby. Maybe he can get somebody to lead him there. But somehow, the blind man manages to get to the pool, and he washes his face, and immediately he can see the world around him for the first time in his life. Okay. So what does this story reveal about the works of God? Well, the man's situation is less than ideal, but at least it's familiar to him, his family, his neighbors. Later in chapter 9 we learn that the man had been a beggar and maybe this is the only way he's ever been able to support himself because he's been blind since birth so what's he going to do now jesus is using muddy spit to heal the man is just the first of many ways in which his intervention in the man's life makes things much messier than they were sometimes we don't immediately see how a change in our circumstances could possibly be an improvement, let alone a miracle. The religious leaders, I think maybe they're sort of like a committee of the BGCT. The religious leaders are not at all happy about this freelance healer butting in on their territory, especially on the Sabbath. This guy's not even been to seminary. But the formerly blind man can see, so they decide, well, Jesus is probably a fraud. The guy had just been pretending to be blind, they think. So they call in his parents, who are scared to death of getting the religious authorities mad at them. The parents confirm that, yes, 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 this is our son, mm-hmm. yes, yes, he had been blind, but it's not our fault that now you can see. Don't blame us. This still happens today. Often, when an addict stops using or an alcoholic stops drinking, the family comes unraveled. They had learned to cope with things the way they were, and they don't know how to relate to this radically changed person in their midst. A familiar situation has suddenly become messy. The story ends with the man who had been healed being thrown out of his religious community. He hasn't fit anymore. They liked him better when he was blind. As the Gospel writer had said back in Chapter 3, people love darkness better than light. And We might add, people don't like change even when it might be an improvement for someone. Ministry as Jesus does it can really be messy. Calvary, you are one of the best churches I know about at doing messy ministry. I'm just going to raise a few questions for the benefit of people who might think the church or they as individuals or they as families could get even more messy, like Jesus. First, an idea for students. Okay, look at the part of your worship folder that wasn't the order of worship, and look down on the part that has my name, and you'll see um, a link. Okay? The... um, thing, tolerance.org, mix it up. We know that lunchtime is one of the most rigidly organized times of the school day, sometimes more rigidly organized than math class. Okay, what about messing it up by sitting with someone or some group that you don't usually sit with? Who sits with a new kid? Who sits with a student on the autism spectrum? Who sits with the kid who's in special education? If you know a student like that, I guarantee you that his or her mother is praying desperately that somebody will befriend that person. Would it be cool to be the answer to somebody's prayer? So. Go to the website and take a look at it. If you go there, you can find an idea for organizing a mix it up at lunch day at your school. This is a national thing. Could be part of an Eagle Scout project or something. Just check it out. Here are a few suggestions for adults, families, college students, seminary students. Jesus left heaven which I imagine is much nicer than where you live now. And moved into our very messy world. There's some Calvary folks who have moved into this North Waco neighborhood to be neighbors to the folks who live here. That could be you. Check with the Caballeros or any number of people. Do you think your voice might mess up the intergenerational choir. Believe me, I have sung in groups that Randall Bradley conducted, and I promise that whatever kind of voice you think you have, God and Randall can work a miracle on it. (laughs) Give it a try. I dare you. It would mess up your schedule if you committed to regularly reading to or mentoring a child at West Avenue. Do it anyway. After all, somebody took time to teach Jesus to read. The child you help will make a difference in the world. Jesus once told a prospective follower that he had no place to lay his head. That seems to be the situation of the young people who are the focus of the cove outreach. The homeless Jesus would appreciate your friendship and encouragement. It would mess up your schedule if you committed to regularly visiting Calvary folks in nursing homes or who are confined to their own homes. Or better yet, visiting people in those settings who have no church and nobody visits them. That mess would really be a blessing. What if you taught a Sunday morning or Wednesday night group of children? Yikes! You'd miss catching up with your friends in your own class. What a mess. Do it anyway. You'd have to leave home earlier each week if you picked up somebody who doesn't have a ride to church. That's a small mess. Digging in the dirt is quite messy. What's happening in the community garden these days? There are few things messier than your community yard sale. It's a lot of work, and this year it includes a fall festival. This mess needs lots of people messing around in it. Jesus is planning to be there. You could hang out with Jesus at the yard sale. Helping out with meals on wheels every Tuesday and Thursday might mess up your week. But Jesus said, I was hungry, and you fed me. Then you could really mess up your vacation time and probably your budget by joining the team in South Texas or Peru or Lebanon. The first one, South Texas, would make you sweaty. And the last two would throw you way out of your comfort zone. That's where you are guaranteed to run into Jesus, way out of your comfort zone. Okay but maybe your life is so messy right now that you can hardly breathe and you can't imagine adding to the mess. Maybe you're angry at God. Good for you. Be angry at God, yell at God, tell God how you feel. Just don't go passive aggressive and ignore God. That's too lonely and lonely is not good when you're in a mess. Admit you're drowning and ask for help. Call one of your pastors. Find a therapist. I've been in therapy for years and taking medication, and it really helps. Jesus is not afraid of messes, and he will meet you in your mess. And if you don't particularly want to meet Jesus, that's okay too. Jesus will wait as long as it takes until you do want to meet him. When I, was, um, for, when I first came to Jesus, there was this song that all of you are too young to remember. And, uh, but it, what it said was, he was there all the time waiting patiently in line. And that's the truth. That's the kind of God we're dealing with. Let's pray. God, what would we do if you were some other kind of God? What would we do if you weren't patient and good and powerful? What would we do? We'd be lost even more than we are now. And so we thank you for who you are And we thank you for who you are for us. And we pray that you would keep changing us into the people that you knew we were when you made us in the first place. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen.
9: Thank you, Sharon. In this series, we've talked a lot about messes. And it has been a deep honor to hear each of your stories as you have shared those messes with us. This week, Sharon has reminded us that Jesus himself entered into the mess and often meets us even as he calls us into the mess. Perhaps this morning, you'd like to know Jesus for the very first time. Perhaps this morning, you'd like to join this community as we journey through the messes of this life, seeking to follow after Jesus together. However you'd like to respond this morning, our ministers will be in the back of the sanctuary, and we would love to talk or to pray with you as you need.
8: Heavenly Father, as we journey through our messy lives, may we never forget that you gave us the greatest gift of all. As we bring our offerings to you, may you give us a grateful heart, a joyful heart, a generous heart. I pray, Lord, that you will bless this offering to be used for your
2: glory. Through Jesus Christ, our Lord and Savior. Amen.
9: Say thank you everyone for being here to worship with us this morning. I've got a few quick announcements for you. Um, this morning, I want to remind everyone, if you're a newcomer around Calvary, if you've been in the last six months, eight months, maybe you've already joined the church, maybe you've been here every week, maybe you've only been a couple of times, we're going to have a newcomer breakfast on October the 20th at 9.30 down in the Fellowship Hall, and we would love for you to come. It'll be hosted by our deacons, there'll be folks from around Calvary who can answer questions about the church, about Sunday school, any information that you might want to know. So we'd love to have you come to that. Um, if you could, please RSVP with Tenisea about October the 17th. A couple of other things. There will be a church-wide lunch next Sunday. We're going to have a hamburger at Hullabaloo, which I have named myself with my creative naming abilities. And we would love for you to come and uh, have lunch with us next Sunday right after church down in the fellowship hall. Our Sunday school classes will be bringing stuff for that. And the last thing is in a couple of weeks, we're going to have our church-wide fall festival and yard sale on October the 26th. There's a sign-up sheet out in the Welcome Center if you would like to physically sign up. I know some of you don't like the Google Docs, and that is okay. There is a, an actual sign-up sheet out in the Welcome Center if you'd like to sign up there. There will also be a link to the Google Docs in the uh, tower this week so you can sign up there as well we need lots and lots of volunteers to make that thing happen so um, i think that's all the announcements for you this morning i'm going to do something a little bit different for our spoken benediction our last church in abilene has experienced a pretty big trauma this week and so i wanted to share with you this morning our benediction that we use at that church as a way of thinking about them and the space that they're in this week so May the, Lord, may the peace of the Lord Christ Jesus go with you, wherever he may send you. May he guide you through the wilderness. May he protect you from the storm. May he bring you back rejoicing at the wonders he has shown you. May he bring you back rejoicing once again into our doors.
1: peace live in grace trust in the arms that will hold you go in peace live To sleep through the night. Wisdom to choose at the fork in the road. And a heart that knows a way home. Go now in peace. Amen.